when we sing about the goodness of God, you know, there are a lot of things that we each can think about. But the word goodness in the, uh, the New Testament, when it talks about <clears throat> God's goodness, it's about his generosity. And there's no one more generous than God. We have so many things to be thankful for. And yet, as it was shared this morning, we can get distracted. We can get myopic where we're just focused in on one or two things. And with what's going on in the world around us, it, it can become a focus that is depressing and discouraging and destructive. But the Bible says where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. That means no matter how dark it gets, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how difficult it gets, the grace of God, the power of God that was used to save you and me, that same power is available to help us to be able to live a victorious life. God has given us, the Bible says, everything that pertains to life and godliness. If that's the case, then we don't have to be people striving and working and, and trying so hard to get what we need. God freely and fully gives it to us. But if, if we don't recognize that or if we don't believe it, then we're going to put in all this effort thinking our effort is going to garner God's blessing, and it doesn't. It's by the grace of God. And it's because he wants to. But if we're trying, we're not in a place of receiving. And that's where God wants us to settle in. The Bible says, enter into the rest of faith. That there were people, Israel, did not enter into the rest of faith. We need to enter into the rest of faith. Recognize what God's done. Receive what God's done. And realize it's not based. It's not based on performance. It's not based on worthiness. It's, it's based on God's love. He freely and fully has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And in that, we can enter into that rest and have a confidence. No matter where we are, no matter what's going on, God is there and he cares. And he is there to work with us if we'll let him. Amen? We need to let God have his way because God's way is the best way. Well, this morning we're going to continue on. But before we get into the word today, uh, I, I was reading this week a, a number of different things. And, and all of a sudden... There was a, uh, a study, a research uh, that was done by Barna Group, and it was about how Americans are feeling and how there is an a overwhelming sense of disconnectedness and loneliness that most Americans feel at times lonely, left out, or not known, and they are feeling increasingly isolated. Now, I know we went through what we went through with the pandemic and we had to do all sorts of social distancing and things like that, but <clears throat> we have more abilities to connect than ever before electronically. And yet what they're finding is all the electronic connection that we have is not giving us a sense of closeness, of intimacy, because it's information. And information is not necessarily connection. You can read a book about somebody that historically lived, 
but you're not really connected to them. You're informed about them. But the Bible is different than any other book. A few weeks back, we talked about the Bible and how it was written by all these people over this vast amount of time from different backgrounds and how it's so cohesive, unlike anything else. The Bible isn't just information because you and I have the opportunity to experience the author of the Bible. The Lord said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And he said, I'm going to send another one just like me who's Holy Spirit. And he's our connection to which we get the love of God poured out in our hearts, the grace of God empowered in our lives, the life of God available to us, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And we've been talking about fruit and how important it is. But he, where does Holy Spirit live? In us. He resides in us. Is there anyone closer in our lives than Holy Spirit? Shouldn't be. There's no one that can get closer. But listen to this. There was a, a, a survey, survey by the American Life uh, Group, and they found out that 49% of Americans report they have fewer than than. They have three fewer close. They have fewer than three close friends, and 12% claim they have no friends. Now, that's a sad statistic. And then I looked at another survey and, and research of the Safe Home Organization. Uh, they did it in 2021, and they said 33% of Americans report losing at least one friendship in the last year. The disconnectedness, the loneliness, the sense of being left out, friendless, is something that we as Christians, we may not have all the friends around us, humanly speaking, but we've got one that sticks closer than a friend. That's what the Bible tells us in Proverbs. One that sticks closer than a friend, uh, closer than a, a brother. And, and that is the Lord. He's there. He's always there. And he can do far more in our lives than anyone else. And yet we oftentimes look at our relationship with God as just almighty God and a child of God. And, and we are children of God. But how many of you know that when your children grow up, there's a different interaction that you have with them you know we're debbie and i are at the place where our oldest son is is 40 our youngest son is in his 30s late 30s and they're no they're still our children but they're now friends there's a different relationship there's a different interaction i i just wrote to both of them and told them how much i appreciate their friendship, and how much I gain from their friendship and relationship. They're teaching me things that, that I need to, to learn. And it's different because if I just stood in that position of I'm the parent, then I'd miss a lot of what God has for me with our children that are grown adults, that are, are wise in ways that 
that I need wisdom. But we've been learning about God and, and how he, he desires in our lives certain things. We desire for our children certain things. And, and we expect certain things at certain times in, in their lives. And then as time goes on, our expectations are still there, but our relationship adjusts as, as we grow and as they grow. And this morning, we're going to continue on in John chapter 15. But before we do, I just want to pray. So if you bow your heads, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your presence here. Father, there is no place we go that you aren't there. But Father, oftentimes, I think we're all guilty of the fact that we don't recognize you as much as we recognize other things and other people. And that's to our detriment, but Father, help us. Help us recognize your presence here and receive your help because you're an ever-present help in time of need. Lord, we know that you want to give us abundant life. You want us to experience that overflow, but that life comes from you, Lord, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And yet so many times there are things that, that we've allowed in our lives to hinder the flow of your life. So help us today recognize the things that need to adjust and change so that we can make room for you and all you have and all you want to do. That we can be who you have for us to be and do what you have for us to do and bring glory to your name and impact and impart to the people around us your love and your life. And we thank you, Father, for the good work that you've begun in us, that you are faithful to complete. We thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So going back to John chapter 15, verse 1 through 3, we looked at this. We, we found that there are three stages to our fruit bearing, and our fruit bearing is important. Jesus told us our fruit bearing is important because it brings great glory to the Father. It proves we're his true followers. And it was what he chose us and ordained us for was to bear fruit that lasts. So fruit bearing is, is what God has created us to do and be, and he expects it. And it's not just beneficial to us and to him, it's beneficial to everybody around us. When we begin to develop the fruit of God, the fruit of the Spirit, then people's lives get enriched. And when you enrich someone's life, do they move towards you or away from you? They, they move towards you, and that's the very key to our witness. If we're going to be witnesses, it's not because we're coming across as telemarketers. It's not coming across as we know more than they do. It's coming across as we love them, we care about them, we want to help them, and the natural response to that is not rejection, it's to draw near. And so that's where we as, as, as ambassadors, as witnesses for Christ, need to develop and have this fruit developed in our lives so that what we have once known as, I'm going to go witnessing, which Many times it was knocking on doors or finding somebody that looked like they needed something and, and, you know, initially expecting them to listen to our story. We care about them 
we contribute to them, and then we're able to interact with them, just like God did. God cared about us. He so loved the world that he contributed. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. There was, there was an interaction after that. But the first two parts were just initiated by God. He chose to love. He chose to give. We need to choose to love and to give and then see the result of that of how it begins to draw people. It's very different than many times what we think we need to do. And yet, this fruit is, is the very thing that draws people to God. They don't realize it, but it's Christ in us that's a hope of glory. And so these three stages of fruit bearing, uh, we've been looking at. The first two, we see it, it says, Jesus said, I'm the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And these two stages, the first one is from no fruit to fruit. Obviously, when we come into the kingdom, we don't have anything except what just had the opportunity to begin, and we begin to bear fruit. But how do we bear that fruit? It says from no fruit to fruit, that stage happens because this says lifts, he takes away. But it's really the better translation. This is a, a very poor translation. It means to lift up. What God does is he begins to lift us up because we have been stuck. We have been trapped. We have been caught in this world in sin. And God's freed us from sin, but that sin still continues because as much as we're a new creation in Christ, we still carry on some habits and actions from B.C., before Christ. And so he lifts us, and the way he does it is he chastens us, and we found out chastening means to educate, uh, to instruct, to tutor, to mentor, to nurture, to train, to correct, and to discipline. And to discipline means to bring to a place of order and obedience. We all know that as a child of God, every day there is a battle going on for God to have his order in our lives and for us to be obedient to God. Because the Bible tells us that the willing and obedient eat the best of the land. The only way we're going to have what God has, he's given it freely, but we've got, our lives are clogged up with a bunch of things. It's like a pipe being clogged up. It was, it was created to have a flow, but there are things that sometimes clog it up and diminish the flow. Well, we were created to have a flow of God, but being in this world diminished the flow. And when we allow sin, and that's the first thing that God deals with, in, in no fruit to fruit, the reason why we didn't have any fruit in our lives is because we had sin dominating our lives. Sin was our master, and when Jesus became Lord of our life, all of a sudden the power of sin was broken, but our practice of sin needs to be adjusted. And so in this first stage, God is putting his finger through his word. He's pointing out areas of active sin in our life. And every one of us has active sin, some sort of sin going on in our life. And that sin, the Bible says, our sin hides the face of God. We don't see God as well. We don't hear from God as well. 
because of our sin. Our sin robs us from what God has freely and fully provided for us. And we choose that. We have to choose to turn our back on sin and turn towards God, to allow God to have his way. And he disciplines, he lifts us. And as far as a vine is concerned, they lift the vines, the branch, and begin to train it to go around something that keeps it out of the dirt of the earth that robs it from fruit bearing. God trains us through his word and by his spirit to stay out of sin. Holy Spirit will convict us. He doesn't condemn us, but he convicts us. And so that first aspect is, is dealing with sin. The second one, it says, he who, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it'll bear more fruit. That pruning is a, a removing of something that is competing with that fruit-bearing branch. I don't know if you've ever seen it on trees, but we have an apple tree in our yard. And every year, it doesn't bear apples. And one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why is, every year, all over the tree, there are these things that grow called suckers. These suckers are just small branches that grow at a very rapid rate and pull a lot of the nutrients, a lot of the energy that that, that tree is, is producing to them so that it can't produce the fruit. And in a vine, they go through and they cut these suckers off so that it won't compete for the resources. Now, there are all sorts of things in our lives that compete for our affection, for our time, for our financial resources, for our devotion, for our, our efforts. And it's not necessarily that they're bad. But what they do in pulling things away from our devotion to God is they're being used in a way that weakens us, that robs from us. And if we're being robbed from, it's not just us being robbed from. Whatever we don't, we don't freely and fully receive from God because we've allowed other things to take the place of God, become more important to God, more valuable, become a priority over God then we go without, which means we can't give to the people around us what we could if we didn't have those things competing. And God wants to clean out those areas of our lives. And, and many times this is, this is not bad stuff. It's, it's things that have been a part of our lives for a long time, but no longer helping propel us towards God. And so we need to be aware of that. And God, through, again, through his word, and by his spirit will help us recognize this is something that was okay, but it's not the best. It's good, but it's not the best. And God always has the best for you. Because if he can bring the best to you, he can bring the best through you to the people around you. And that's where this process, these first two stages, God initiates. He's the one that initiates this. We aren't the one that, that initiated. We just go along on our merry way. But God loves us too much to leave us where we were. Where does God want to take us? From what? Glory to glory. And so if we're going to go from one level of glory to another level of glory, there's got to be a change. 
and God doesn't change because he's perfect. So there's got to be a change in us. But to go from one level of glory to the next level, what has to happen? Well, we know that the Bible tells us that it's Christ in us that's the hope of glory. We need to let, even though Jesus we proclaim as our Lord, he really isn't the master of every area of our life when we begin. But our whole life here is spent allowing God, inviting God, letting God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the word that was made flesh that dwelled among us, have more place, have more priority, have more rule, have more governing, have more guidance in our lives, taking over areas that we once used to do ourselves. And so this second stage of pruning is dealing with self. It's dealing with us running our life the way we used to and now realizing I need God to run my life. As, as John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must what? Decrease. He must increase and I must decrease. Well, if I decrease, I'm never going to be myself. No, 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 no. You don't understand. When you allow God and I allow God to have his way in our lives, we, for the first time in our lives, become more of what God intended us and created us to be because he's the only one that knows. And that's where we need to allow God to have his way in everything, just like Jesus did. He said, I do nothing of myself. I've come to do the will of my Father, and I do always those things that please my Father, the things that he shows me. So these two stages are God-initiated, but how many of you know God will not force us to do anything? He'll not force his will, even though it's perfect and it's best. He'll never force us. So he initiates it, but it demands a response. On our part, we have to choose whether we're going to participate or not. God may point at something in our lives that's robbing us and also then all the people around us of the very blessing of God in our lives and through our lives. And we have to choose whether we're going to make the adjustment that God has for us to make to allow him to flow more fully than ever before. And we can go all our lives and have Jesus as our fire insurance. You know what I mean when I say that? Yeah. You know, it's, it's sometimes we think this is all about, I'm not going to hell and I've got a ticket to heaven. But right now, this is my time. And, and we can live that way, but it really isn't. That's... that's a deception we live under, if we've taken Jesus as Lord of our life because we don't want to go to hell and we want heaven to be our eternal home, then he starts his lordship when we invited him in, and it should be ever increasing that he's taking over more ground than ever before. And as he does, the influence of sin and the influence of self, because we can't trust ourselves, we, we've learned and we've heard that there's a way that appears right unto us or, or good whose end is the way of death. We can't trust ourselves. We've got a track record. We need to be honest about our track record. It's not stellar. And even if it was good, understand that the track record that we're choosing to invite that one into our lives who's never failed, never done anything wrong, 
has always done the best, whose who's guidance do you want? Who do you want to govern you? One that does pretty good or one that always does best? Obviously, the one that always does best. But that's where self dies hard. You know, we're supposed to be a living sacrifice. You know the problem with a living sacrifice? It keeps crawling off the altar. You know, we keep wanting to have our own way. We te- keep thinking, I can do this. I, I know what's good. I'm all right. I can handle this. No, we can't. With man, nothing is possible. But with God, all things are possible. Man, I wouldn't want to depend on somebody that can't do anything right or anything of eternal value without God. I want God to have his way in my life, which means I've got to decrease that he would increase. And so it it brings us to verse 4 and 5 that we started looking at last week where Jesus brings us to the third third stage, the final stage. But all three of these stages continue throughout our life in this earth. All of these are at work. God's always going to be helping us recognize sin in our life, whether it's a sin of commission, things that we're doing we shouldn't do, or a sin of omission, things we're not doing that we should do. Because those are two different types of sin, but there's still sin. And what's the payoff of sin? Death. And so he doesn't want death working in our life because he wants life working in our life so that we'll have abundant life. The flow of God will be free and full. And that's exactly what we saw in Jesus' life. His life was an open conduit for the Father to work what he wanted through him, and we see the impact he had. He's still having impact in this world because he allowed the Father to have his way fully. Not without struggle, because we know that he prayed, Father, if we can do this another way, let's do it another way. But... It doesn't matter. I, I, I want your way more than I want my way. I want your will more than I want my will. And so we come to this third, third stage where we're bearing fruit, but God doesn't want you to just have more fruit. He wants you to have much fruit, the maximum capacity in your life. God wants to max you out. He wants your life to be absolutely overflowing. That's why Jesus said, I've come to give you life. Right? Is that all he said? And life more abundant. He wanted to max you out. He wanted your life to be overflowing. Overflowing with what? With fruit. With fruit. With peace. With joy. With health. With wisdom. With favor. With prosperity. With everything that you can think of, that's what he wants overflowing in your life. Because if it's overflowing in your life and in my life, guess what's going to happen? It's going to draw people. Man, we're living in a world that is like a, a life desert. And when I say a life desert, a desert is a place where there is no life. And this is a place where there is no life except where you can find the little oases here and there and other places. And that's where life tends to migrate to. And that's what God wants. God wants people that are out in the desert of this world. No love, no joy, no peace, no kindness, no generosity, no care. 
and all of a sudden they come upon you, a child of God, that is allowing God to have his way in your life, and all this is starting to overflow in your life, they're going to hang out by you. They're going to want to be around you because their life is enriched. Their life is better. Their life is beginning to experience life like they've never experienced before. But, and they think it's you. They think it's me. They think it's us. And we have to be the ones to tell them, this is, not, this is not what I've done. This is what I've allowed God to do in my life. And you don't have to look to me for it. You can look to him for it. You can get it direct instead of through someone else. And all of a sudden, there are more oases springing up in this world that's a desert. That is inhospitable to life. And God is causing life to abound. Because you and I are cleaning out the pipes of our lives. We're partnering with God. God's putting his finger on some things and saying, this, this should go, this needs to go, that needs to go. And, and it's tough because we've become familiar with certain ways of living and things we do and just all that kind of stuff. And yet, there's a new and living way, God's word says, we're supposed to walk in. If it's new and living, then it's going to be different than what's been familiar and normal. Because the enemy of best is good. I'm, a, I'm good, I'm good. Yeah, but God wants you best. He wants the best to you and the best through you. And the only way that can happen is we allow more of God in us, more guidance, more governing. What God hates, we need to put away. And what God loves, we need to embrace. And in this, this portion of Scripture, the last one, it says, Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. Now, I want you to understand something right now. Jesus is speaking these words. He's speaking them to his disciples in the last calm moment that he has before all the chaos is going to break loose on the Mount of Olives where he's arrested and he's taken away and he's beaten and he's eventually crucified. This is important. And he gives them a com command. This is a command. When he says, abide in me, and I and you, it is not a suggestion. It is in the imperative. It means he is commanding them to do something. No choice. But how many of you know he knew they had a choice? They all had a choice whether they were going to abide in him or not. And in this third stage, it is initiated by us. He tells us, but now we got to choose. We choose to abide, to connect. This word abide is a very important word. It's seen 11 times in John chapter 15, 40 times in the Gospel of John, and 27 times in the epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So this is a very important principle. It's a very important word, and, and what, it, what it indicates, it means to stay in a given place, state, or a given relationship. What, what Jesus is saying is, you need to abide. You need to connect and stay in this relationship. Don't let any other thing break, fracture, hinder, diminish this relationship, this, this fellowship that we have, this connection we have. And yet everything in our daily lives can be something that pulls us away from God. And we've got to be very careful about that. Last week, I, I, 
I invited you to take a challenge. I got, I got texts this week about this challenge. I invited you to, every time, because sometimes we think, well, I can't stay connected to God. I've got a busy life. Yeah, we all have busy lives, and you know what? They're getting busier. When are we going to learn more doesn't mean better? It doesn't. It stresses us out and wears us down like nothing else. And last week we learned about being still before God. we got to be still. Be still and know that I'm God. It's in the stillness that you begin to know God like never before. But my challenge was every time you pull your, your phone out, you go to look at your phone, take a minute, pause before you do anything with your phone, and connect with God. I had texts of people saying, I, I, I've never had anything like this. And, and I started to do it, and it was just, you know, five seconds. And then that five seconds later on in the week turned into a minute. And, and the last report from this one individual said, before I knew it, it was 30 minutes. I had been thanking God and appreciating God and worshiping God and praising God and, and just thinking about all he's done for me. And before I knew it, it was 30 minutes. I had to get back with the phone. How much richer would our lives be? How, how much more peace would we have? How much more hope would we have? You know, I, I found, again, I, I did this too, and, and I was realizing that I wasn't connecting to God as much as I could. And I've made a determination I'm going to choose to connect with Him more often, every hour that I'm awake. I want to take time. Because I don't always check my phone every hour, and some of you know that because I haven't returned texts or calls or, or things right away. But this word to abide means to stand firm or steadfast. And, and this relationship that we're to stay in, stay in a relationship, it's not just a partnership. This is where our interaction with God moves from, okay, you're God and, and that's it. It's where we choose to engage God. This one we initiate. God participates. Abide in me and I'll abide in you. You make the first step and I'll respond to your step. And we, we, we know the Bible tells us, draw near to God and he'll draw near to us. God's as close to us today as we've chosen to let him be because of how close we've gotten to him. He's not going to violate your personal space. My personal space. If I tell him, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't want you in that area of my life. He's not going to go into that area of your life. And you and I are going to suffer for that. But right here, when we initiate and God participates, it changes from a partnership to a friendship. Who did God call a friend in the Bible? Anybody know? Abraham. Abraham. Abraham was a friend of God. Why? Because Abraham sought out God. Abraham interacted with God. Abraham obeyed God. You know, if you have a friend, what, what are characteristics of a real friendship? Or is it one where you have to always go and call the friend and look for your friend? 
or is it a mutual interaction? If they're really good friends, they're going to seek you out more than you seek them out. If they're a really good friend, they're going to care more about you than they care about themselves. If they're a good friend, they're not going to look for you to always sacrifice for them. They're going to be willing to have sacrificed more for you. If they're a good friend, they're going to be faithful to you. If they are a really good friend, they're going to put your friendship before a lot of other things that could easily pull them away. I want you to know God is your best friend. But what kind of friend are we to him? Because I know that in my life, if I look at my life, the way I've treated God at times didn't show that I was his friend, but he never changed. Not only being my God, but being my friend. You know, we sang a song this morning that, that he's been our father, but he's also been our friend. And he has, but what kind of friend have we been? This is the moment in time where it moves from that partnership to a friendship. Because we choose to get close. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. That word abide also means to continue, to persevere, to endure, to remain. Because it takes that. We have to persevere. We have to fight to remain connected to God because so many things are pulling us away. Our schedules are pulling us away from God. Our priorities many times are pulling us away from God. It means to dwell or to make a home. Now, what's the difference between a home and a house? Nothing, they're both structures. What makes a house a home? You drive past all sorts of houses, but they're not your home. Families, love, what you experience within that building. To make it a home, it's what you experience within that relationship. When you're home, and, and we know that from the very first family, there was problems because sin was there, right? Huge dysfunction. Husband blames wife. Husband blames God. One brother murders another, and it goes downhill from there. And yet, what did God intend? God intended a home to be a place where you were known completely, you were loved unconditionally, you were encouraged, supported, you were held accountable for your good. You were helped to develop to your potential. There's so many good things that should be happening in homes that aren't. And yet when we think about home, it's about this, this relationship, this support, this sacrifice that happens for the betterment of somebody else in that home. Everybody sacrifices for somebody else. Just like the scripture that was in the word for you today, put yourself aside 
so that you can help others get ahead. That's what a home is supposed to be like. Now, I dare say that many of us didn't experience that. But at times, maybe some of us did. To, to abide means to be present and engaged, intimate and interactive. James 4, verse 8, gives us these stages of fruit development. In, in, it's, it's amazing. In the Amplified, it says, come close to God and he will come close to you. That's abiding. Recognize that you are sinners. Get your soiled hands clean. That is the first stage of, of lifting, of disciplining, of, of, of uh, chastening, where God is telling us, clean this up, man, get this off you. We just went through a time where everybody is fastidiously washing their hands. Man, some of us washed our hands more in the last couple of years than we did in the previous whole time of our life. And we were doing it because we knew it had a benefit. Or we thought, we were told it had a benefit. You know, it's, it's sometimes questionable what we hear from what source. But I'm telling you, whenever you hear something from God, it is right. And he says, cleanse your hands. Get rid of the sin. Sin is robbing you. It's killing things in your life. It's robbing you and me from the flow of God. When sin's in my life, it's robbing the flow of God in my life, but it's also robbing the flow of God through my life to your life. And then he goes on to say, realize that you have been disloyal, wavering individuals with divided interests. Purify your hearts, the, your heart of your spiritual adultery. That's the pruning. Man, our hearts are divided. There are so many different things. And yet... God has for us to be so completely connected with him. So completely connected with him in this abiding, in this relationship that has no longer just been a partnership, it is now a friendship. And when you have a partnership with a friend, what are you willing to do? If they're your best friend, what are you willing to do? Exactly anything. Anything. Because you trust them, because you love them, because you want the best for them, you'll take everything that you have. And that's really what a covenant is. Taking everything that you have and putting it on the line to make sure the one you're in covenant with, their life is better, no matter what it costs you. And that's what God did for us. He called us friends. And he laid it all on the line. And if he's calling us friends, shouldn't we choose to be in a friendship with God where we put it all on the line for him? Because whatever we put on the line for God, we'll never lose. Whatever sacrifice we make, the Bible says we'll receive a hundredfold in this life and the life to come. Don't forget about eternity. Eternity is a long time. And if you and I are just living for what we can get and what we can do in this life, man, we're living for the short end of the stick. And we're going to be disappointed. 
Because when we live for this life alone, we live in a very carnal way, very fleshy way. And so this friendship with God needs to become the number one priority in our life. Number one. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus is supposed to have the preeminence in everything. Number one priority in our life should be friendship with God. And it needs to move from devotion. Our devotion needs to move from an appointment with God because Many of us have devotions in the morning. We, we get up, we spend time with our Bible and in prayer and in praise of God and being still before God. And how many of you know that's a good thing? It's a good thing. But it's not the best thing. Because with that quiet time, that devotion time in the morning, I know when I go in and put an appointment on my phone, on the calendar on my phone, it's got a start time and an end time. Usually in a lot of people's devotion time, because our, our schedules are packed out. All of a sudden, we just, time's up, I gotta go. What if God said five more minutes? Do our schedules have enough time in them, enough leeway in them, we could give them five more minutes? Because what needs to happen is we need to move from appointments with God to continue a, continued attentiveness to God. Where, yeah, we may have a time limit right there, but when we walk out of that time of, of prayer and praise and, and Bible study, that we don't just say, hey, see you tomorrow. Or maybe you don't. Maybe your, your connection with God comes on a Sunday morning. And that's the time where you hear the word of God and you praise God and, and you pray. So God's got an hour and a half to work in your life. I don't know. He's a miracle working God, but that's pretty restrictive. If all your troubles can happen in an hour and a half, then it's good. But if they happen outside that hour and a half, whoa. Continuous attentiveness. Not an appointment. We have times where we're more focused. This time is a more focused time. But when you walk out of here, we should still be connected to God. We should still be listening for God. We should still be aware of him influencing us and imparting things to us because God doesn't just do it here. Sometimes people put so much demand on a Sunday morning service when God says, yeah, I'm there, but guess what? I'm there Monday. I'm there Tuesday. That, that, that joy, that peace that you were expecting on Sunday, I, I'm there to give it to you on Monday. I'm there to give it to you on Tuesday. I'm there to give it to you on Wednesday. That strength. That hope, that healing, he's there to give it to us every day. And that's what abiding does. We've got to fight. Because if we take this back to what it's talking about, it's talking about a vine that's established, it's got life in it, and now there's a branch that's growing out of it. And the farther it grows, the more pull is on that attachment. And the more full the flow is, 
the more life goes out and the farther that vine can grow and the more fruit that vine can produce. But if all of a sudden something starts to sever that attachment, say somebody's pulling on the vine or on the branch, and it starts to break at that point, it's going to hinder the flow. The things that are pulling on you and me daily begin to hinder the flow of God who is life in our lives, God who is health, God who is peace, God who is joy. And we need to fight to stay connected, to stay in that friendship. There are all sorts of things that are pulling on this friendship. And only you can fight for that friendship to stay vibrant and full, unhindered and free-flowing. Wow. This abiding is what makes possible. Dealing with these other things are just a setup to remove things that will hinder the flow of God in our life. But abiding is where the flow really occurs. And I'm telling you right now, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for who? The church. What kind of church? Without spot or wrinkle. That's removing the sin and taking the things out that are not allowing things to go as smoothly as God wants. A wrinkle. Spots and wrinkles. Why? Because the church is the glorious, victorious church. The church is the means that God is going to use to bring in the last harvest. And to have that happen, there needs to be a supernatural, unhindered flow of God in the church. Not in this building. It should happen in this building. But it should happen as much in the building as it does out of the building. That we, wherever we go, because we're in, we're abiding, we're in this friendship, we're in this intimate, interactive, imparting relationship. We give God us, God gives us Him. Abide in me and I'll abide in you. And all of a sudden, man, we're, we're, we're getting... Words of wisdom, the gifts of healings, the workings of miracles. You think that's going to happen if we're not closely connected to God? God's the source of that stuff. And if we're closely connected, if we're abiding in Him, that can flow. And it's got to flow out there. And if it flows out there in our lives, it'll flow in here. But we've got to choose. And like every head bowed, every eye closed. Got to choose. It's a choice. Joshua said, choose this day who you'll serve. It's a good question for us to ask ourselves each day. Who am I going to serve? How completely am I going to serve God? How completely am I going to give myself to God? Jesus gave himself completely. I always do those things that please the Father. I do everything he sees or tell everything I see or he tells me to do. I do. I'm completely submissive and obedient. 
Father, I pray right now for all of us. I pray for me and for every person here that, Father, this would be something that is unrelenting, that, Father, we would be aware of our abiding. We would be on guard for anything that would try to diminish or weaken or pull us away from our friendship with God. Father, help us get our schedules under control where there's enough room in our schedules that if you show us while we're out doing life, our natural life, that you want to impart a supernatural endowment, whether it's, it's a word of wisdom, word of knowledge, a, a, a gifts of healings, the working of miracles, that all of a sudden you, you just let us know this is what you want us to do. You want us to just go over there and speak. Not, not, not religiously, not in an air of superiority, but as a humble servant of the Most High God, representing the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who loves that individual, help us to, to allow you to have your way in us and through us, that you would impact and impart to all the people around us. God, your word says if when Christ is lifted up, all people would be drawn unto him. He was lifted up on the cross, and that's what you're directly speaking to. But in our lives, if he's lifted up, if he's exalted, if he's allowed to, to be the Lord of our life, people will be drawn to him. It'll look like they're being drawn to us, and we'll make sure that they know it's Christ in us that's the hope of glory. It's Christ the healer. He's the God of all hope. He's the God of all peace. He is love. Father, we don't want to be religious. In this hour, we can't afford to be. But we have to have a relationship of friendship with you. Not just a partnership. Help us to go deeper. Help our devotion be continuous. Our awareness of you, our receptiveness to you. Father, I pray right now that you'd help us. Help us in those first two stages. If there's active sin in our life, help us see what you, you are willing to help us work with to remove from our lives. And Father, if there are good things that are hindering us from the best things that you have, show us. Father, we know that this isn't, this isn't easy and it's not quick, but it is best. And we want your best. It's worth it. So Father, help us. Help us to value what you value. We thank you for the good work that you've begun, that you are faithful to complete because you're at work in us to will and to do your good pleasure. But Father, we want your will in our lives. We welcome your will in our lives. We yield to your will in our lives. And we thank you for your working in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?
This week ahead of you, God already knows what it is. God has an awareness of who you're going to come across the paths of. And know this, every person, every person you engage with, he loves. Every person that we come in contact with, Jesus died for. Some of them know it. Some of them benefited from it, but some of them haven't. You're going to run into people this week that are, are struggling. And God wants to help them and realize God sent you. God sends me. God sends us into a lost and dying world so that they can come to see and know and eventually love him who loves them. Amen? I just want to pray for you before you go. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each and every one of your children. Lord, we're so grateful that you have not left us alone. You've given us your spirit. You've also given us your word. Help us to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Help us to have a desire and longing to, to hide your word in our heart that we wouldn't sin against you. We wouldn't get off track. Help us to get control of our schedules, of our priorities, of, of the things that we value and esteem highly, and get them in order where you're above it all and you're before it all. So that, Father, we're available. If, if, if you direct us to do something, we will do it. But, Father, most of all, help us to enjoy every minute of every day knowing that we have the greatest privilege and opportunity and honor of living a life-giving friendship with you. Help us to truly embody and recognize and practice the greatest aspects of friendship as you do to us that we would to you. We thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. have a great